Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, it's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend Ben Straub, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and How to Confront Those Fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, this is Andrew Olson, host of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I'm here today with my good friend, Dennis Van Campen, president and CEO of Mel Trotter Ministries. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today on leadership and leading through crisis. But before I get into that, take a few minutes, if you would, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Mel Trotter Ministries. Sure. Well, Mel Trotter Ministries has been here for 120 years. We exist to demonstrate the compassion of Christ toward anyone that's experiencing hunger or homelessness. So basically what that means is in our area, we are one part safety net, which means that any person or individual that's experiencing homelessness or family uh, can come to Mel Trotter. We don't limit who we serve, you know, specify one population. We literally are the place that anyone can come. And then the other part of that is we are an organization that's multifaceted in that we serve our guests holistically. So we look at them medically, spiritually, physically. Uh, we try to meet those physical needs. And then we try to assess where that person is, how they got to the situation that they're in, and what they're willing and able to do to move forward. And then we move forward. So if somebody chooses to do a recovery program for substance abuse or a job training program, we offer that and we work with them. If somebody says, you know what, housing is my thing, I don't need a recovery program, I don't need job training, I'm fine there. And we have transitional housing that we can move them into as kind of a step between permanent housing and the shelter, uh, or we also help them immediately find permanent housing. And then lastly, we also um, go into the schools. We have case managers that work in the public schools uh, seeking to identify either families that are homeless or families that are at risk of being homeless, uh, being homeless, and then we uh, work with them to get them out of that situation or keep them from becoming homeless uh, as much as possible. So uh, about me, I've uh, been married for 25 years, four amazing kids. We grew up in, in this area primarily. In some ways, everything I've done in my career, I think, has prepared me for this. As the CEO of Mel Trotter, um, I, part of my job is to be a cop. And I did that as a reserve deputy for 15 years. Part of my job is to be a teacher. I've taught at uh, Cornerstone University. Part of my job is camp director. I spent 17 years in camping. And the, the parallels between camping and mission work are very similar. You're housing people, feeding people, um, and people don't listen to you. I just like the kids at camp. And then part of my job is that leader administrator. And uh, I've been leading nonprofits for 
I hate to say this, but like 21 years now. So um, we can edit that part out for you. Yeah. Could you please edit that out? That would be great because I'm really only 25 years old, as you can see. So, yeah, I think everything that I've done in my life, I didn't know it at the time, but it was preparing me for uh, this role here. I've been here for eight years, started as a VP of programs, and I'm now the CEO. Awesome. Thanks for giving us that background. So let's start in on this conversation. It is uh, April 20th, 2020. You're in Michigan. I'm in Minnesota. Our states are still relatively locked down because of this COVID-19 crisis. And my word's not yours. I think that you guys uh, and Mel Trotter Ministries are really on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis in the Grand Rapids community. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like for you to get up every day and continue to lead and inspire not just your staff, but the folks that are in your care at the mission as a leader in the time of this kind of crisis. Yeah, thanks for that question. You know, we really are at the front lines. One thing, everybody keeps saying this is unprecedented territory, and it is. And one of the things that has happened in our community is Mel Trotter and one other organization, Family Promise, have really stepped up. And by stepping up, I mean increased over the status quo of what we would normally do, taking more people, branching out into areas we haven't branched out in before. While many other organizations, there are a lot of organizations in our community that serve the homeless, but many other organizations in this crisis have either temporarily completely closed or significantly scaled back what they're doing, and that has left a greater burden on us. So that's a bit maybe of the, of the background of, of um, what we're facing. I think to, to the heart of your question, uh, what's it like to, to come in every day and get up every day? You know, I, I have to admit, in some ways, it's adrenaline. You know, you come in and you don't know exactly what's going to happen during that day. You just know that you're going to be going full steam. And at the end of the day, you're going to look back and go, I don't remember half of the things that, that went on today, um, but I know we made progress. There's also a tremendous burden. Andrew, as you and I were talking a bit um, off air, you know, you live with the fact or I live with the fact that every day I'm, I'm trying to encourage our staff and trying to keep them coming to work. Because if we don't come to work, if our doors close, hundreds and hundreds of men, women, and children will be on the streets tonight with no one to care for them. And um, the likelihood of something bad happening to them, COVID or something else, skyrockets. So, uh, so we deal with sort of that dynamic. But the parallel there is we're very aware of the fact that we're asking our staff to come in and put themselves and their families at risk because we're seeing people that are testing positive for COVID out of uh, our shelter. Uh, we're, today we're starting to test everyone over the next week and we anticipate there will be many more positives. So I can't give staff a guarantee that you'll be safe here no matter, you know, we, get, we have all the PPE equipment, we have face shields and masks and gloves and everything else, but that's still not a guarantee. And you know, when you look at the, when they look at the entire world closing, and then knowing that they're essential and they have to come in and they're putting their families at risk, that's a huge burden for them to carry. And as I try to lead them and encourage them, it's a huge burden of leadership. So let's talk about the last piece that you, you mentioned there. What are some of the things that you are doing in this really uh, unique time to help encourage your staff, to, to motivate them to, to continue to, to show up to work and to, to do this essential work that needs to be done and, and really to you know, in times of crisis, it's really easy for organizations to splinter and, and factions to pop up. What is it taking from, from your side on the leadership perspective to make sure that, you know, everybody's pulling in the same direction and that you're not 
you know, creating such an environment where it damages relationships in the process. So we're, we're trying to take a multifaceted approach to this. So in a real tangible way, one of the things that we did is, is uh, for our frontline staff workers, so nurses in security and food service and our case managers, we've added during this COVID crisis $5 an hour to their paycheck as a thank you and an acknowledgement. And, you know, while it's not a ton of money, what we've heard from the staff is it's, it's sort of the gesture behind that that's really important. It's communicating a lot of value. So I think we're doing that. We're also trying to do some things that just spontaneously encourage people. So, you know, the pizza place across the street is closed, but they have carry out uh, every now and then we're ordering 20, 25 pizzas and bringing them here for staff, that kind of thing. We're trying to be, get better at communication. In fact, some of our staff have joked with us that communication during COVID has been the best that it's ever been in an organization. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but every organization I've worked in, the number one complaint is communication is terrible. Well, apparently during COVID, we've <clears throat> learned something because, you know, so we're doing situation reports every night that go out to the staff that are covering uh, what happened that day, what, what are we planning for tomorrow, uh, what do they need to know. Once a week, we're doing uh, virtual all staff meetings that are part encouragement, devotional, part uh, information that they need to know. And, you know, we did a town hall last week where live the staff could ask me questions and they asked some really tough questions, but it really, I think, is building trust and value. Uh, probably the hardest thing about that is we have about 20% of our staff that due to their own medical condition or their immediate family members, they cannot come into the building. Uh, so they're working off-site. And I think that balance of the people that are working off-site are not sort of taking a vacation while you're here on the front lines. Um, that's really, really difficult. But our staff are doing an amazing job at not pointing fingers, but staying focused on who we're here to serve and how we're supposed to do that. Yeah, that's great. I know that in the the space you're living in right now, you're not just leading within the organization, but you're also working with the health department, with the county, with the city, probably with tons of, of other you know, organizations across the community. Talk to us a little bit about what it takes and how you're navigating that environment to, to lead in a healthy way when you don't actually have control and authority over those other organizations. What's that experience been like? Yeah, wow, that's a great question. First of all, you have to, you know, you have to go in knowing that for the most part, you're going to be dealing with politicians. And I don't mean that as a, as a, a dig against politicians, but it is actually something that you have to consider is that everyone has a heart to do the right thing and to help the most people, but everyone also has another sort of agenda that they're thinking about and that they have to think about. So as we've been wading into that, we've been trying to just stay calm and stay consistent, but also stay very confident in the fact that the people that know our clientele the best are us. So, you know, a lot of this has been education where a county official or a state official, sometimes even federal official, will say, well, why don't you do this? Or here's an idea. And um, sometimes those ideas are great. And sometimes they would be great for someone that's not experiencing homelessness. But for people experiencing homelessness, they could actually produce more trauma. Um, and then we have to be the ones and sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, we have to play that expert role and say, okay, that's a really great idea. 
but let me help you understand a bit about the homeless population that might change your thinking on that thought or that idea or that suggestion. So it's wading through that. And it's also, you know, in some ways, I think we've been in this about four weeks now, pretty hot and heavy. You know, in some ways, I feel like every single day I'm saying the exact same things to the, the local officials. But I understand that that's what I need to do. I need to have that consistency. I need to have that, that calm voice. And, and we're starting to see um, our sentences being finished. And I think, you know, according to Patrick Lencioni, keep communicating until first they roll their eyes and then they finish your sentences. Um, we're starting to see some of my sentences being finished. So I think we're finally having effective communication. That, that's great. Let's talk a little bit about what you're learning about yourself as a leader through this process. What, what can you share about? That's a terrible question. <laughs> I, let's talk about other people then. Yeah, what am I learning about myself? I think I'm learning that, I'm, I'm, I'm relearning the importance of surrounding yourself with a leadership team that you can rely on. Uh, that is different than you in many ways, that brings different skills. And I think, you know, like this is a huge aha. I think we've all known that for a long time. Um, But I think in a time like this, you figure out if the years that you've spent building to this point, even not knowing that COVID was coming, but the years that you've spent building your team to this point, were you building the right thing in the right way? Because Mm -hmm. it's times like this the strengths show, but so do some of the weaknesses, and not only in your team, but also in you. So I'm learning about uh, how I've been building a team and some of the things that we did extremely well and some of the things that I want to go back when this is over and I want to do a little bit differently. You know, personally, I'm also learning that this is taking its toll. Uh, You know, we all know leadership is hard. We all know leadership is lonely. But when you get into a crisis like this, those things get magnified. And so I'm learning that I need to very intentionally plug into those things that recharge me. So for me, it's my faith, it's my family, uh, it's a a small community of of friends that I can really rely on. And it's also, you know, in the middle of yesterday, I think I worked probably about nine or 10 hours yesterday, but in the middle of that, we just kind of looked at the family and said, hey, let's go to Lake Michigan, let's go take a hike. It's going to be good for our family, it's going to be really good for me. So thankfully, the cell phone was out of range and you know, it took three hours off. Um, and that was great for us to be together as a family, but it was also great for me to then come back home and plug into what I needed to plug into for the rest of the night. So I'm not sure if that's a answer you're looking for, but the, oh, I think I'm still learning. I, I, and I think we all are, right? If, if we, I, I'm concerned about the leaders who say I'm not learning anything about myself through a time like this, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, I want to sort of pivot the conversation a little bit and talk about the community, right? So, you know, we've been working with you in the Grand Rapids community for a number of years in one way or another. And what I've come to learn is it's an incredibly generous, Mm -hmm. uh, sacrificially so community. And I know that as this crisis broke, we had a lot of conversations about how, just how much we talk to the community about the crisis how much you you engage the community to you know to help raise revenue to support uh, Mel Trotter Ministries in a unique way through the crisis, and not wanting to seem like you're trying to take advantage of things and sort of you know use the crisis for profit. Let's say talk to us a little bit 
about how how you you know what, what was your thought process behind that? Uh, what was the the heart of the organization behind that? And how did you eventually make the decisions that you made on you know exactly how how much to be talking about this publicly? Yeah, you know I, I think that you're exactly right. Is is we know that this is an extremely generous community, and we know that they respond uh, normally, but they really would respond in times of crisis like this. But to your point, we wanted to make sure that we were not seen as taking advantage of this. So in our thought process and in our conversations, one thing that kept coming to my mind was the circumstances are different, but the core of who we are and the core of what we do isn't. And we've been communicating that for years talking about, you know, like I said earlier, demonstrating the compassion of Christ to any, anyone that's experiencing uh, hunger or homelessness. Um, that's a core that hasn't changed here. Everything we're doing is about um, compassion. You know, the community is well aware of the fact that we are, for lack of a better term, the safety net in the community. Well, in this crisis, that safety net has become more important, um, but it's also had to become wider because of, you know, some of the things that I mentioned earlier. So, so we, I guess what I'm saying is we didn't change anything about the core of who we are and what we're doing. We just started applying it to this situation. Um, so we've always had nurses on staff who have done amazing jobs, mostly with profoundly intoxicated individuals. Well, now those nurses have had to adapt a little bit and they're taking care of testing people for COVID and screening and, and doing all that sort of thing. So the core of what we've done of what we have been doing hasn't changed. I think that's really important first step for us. And then it's just about being honest and transparent. You know, just saying we're not going to we're not going to create any, you know, magnificent walk on water-esque stories. We're just simply going to tell you what is happening, what we're seeing, and what we're doing about it and get that message over and over and over again. So I think that that has really helped and what we've seen is the community has stepped up. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, I was doing a TV interview for a local TV station, and that's what they wanted to know. What, is, what are you doing? What precautions are you taking? So we bookended it with compassion and safety net. And then and in the middle, we talked about social distancing and masks and gloves and how we've changed food service and all of that. That aired, I think, at 11 o'clock at night, and shortly after that, my email went off, and a major donor in the community emailed me and said, my husband and I saw your, your uh, piece on the news, and you'll be getting a $100,000 check of support for COVID relief. Wow. Right Now, part of that is West Michigan, but she, they didn't have to do that. Right. Um, and we didn't, like, that interview wasn't some grand, you know, look how great we are, and let me tell you this story. It was simply saying, we've played this role for 120 years and we're still playing that role and we're always going to play that role. Similarly, you know, shout out to you and Newport One, Andrew. We talked for a long time about what do these direct mail appeals look like? And um, last week, one hit that, that your team worked so hard on and uh, it hit my house and I looked at it and said, wow, this is amazing. This is perfect. And uh, the first day we got $69,000 from that appeal. That's, that's amazing. And I think people are not only appreciating who we are, but they're, they're understanding that we're not, they're seeing in, in how we're communicating that we're not trying to take advantage of this. But we're also very clear about our need. One of the things that we put out there was um, 
COVID-19 is costing us $95,000 more a month in staffing alone. Um, well, that's a really, that's a very real need. And, and we haven't shied away from that. So, you know, even on that TV interview, I said $95,000 a month just in staffing that doesn't include supplies. And we just put it out there. Didn't ask for money. Just yeah. told the truth. And all of a sudden people respond. So I want to stick on something you, you said uh, as you were answering that last mm-hmm. question. You, you mentioned honesty and transparency. And one of the things that I think organizations are often challenged by and leaders in general is this feeling like we have to present to the community this face that, that looks like we've got it all together, that, you know, we're in charge. We know what we're doing. We don't make mistakes uh, because otherwise people will think that, you know, we're a failure. Mm -hmm. Challenge that thinking for me. Yeah. That approach works until you get caught. (laughs) Right. And, and everyone will be caught at some point, you know, I've had it in my own, in my own life where I've played that role and, uh, and then you get caught and it's like the emperor has no clothes. Right. Uh, or pick pick your analogy, the, the little small wizard behind the curtain. So what I've found and what I've tried to do is to be honest and transparent, but I think that's where the confidence comes in. Right. There's a way to, there's a way to admit you don't have all the answers that will hurt you. And there's a way to admit that you don't have all the answers that can actually help you. You know, if you sort of take this approach of, oh my gosh, I'm an alarmist. I don't know what we're going to do. And today we could have, you know, 100 people come back positive. If you sort of do that and then try and blame, right? This is because the jail's emptied or this is because XYZ organization closed. That's going to come back and hurt you. And and when it hurts you, it's going to hurt the people you're called to serve. And it's going to hurt your staff. But yet, if you can do it with confidence and say, you know, that's a really great question. I mean, I did this on our town hall with our staff. There were, I think, three questions that came through. And I said, that's a really great question. And I have to be honest, I do not have that answer. But I can tell you I'm going to look into that. Or I can tell you here's what we're doing to try and find that answer. And then drive it back to what are the things that we do know. So what I do know is that today, no trotter is open. People are coming in. They're going to, get, they're going to uh, be greeted. They're going to be as safe as we can possibly make them. I don't know if they will contract the disease here or outside. I don't know if my staff will uh, be exposed and and contracted. So to say something false or to push the panic button isn't going to help because they know. Most people know when you're lying, right? Your kids know when you're lying and you know when they're lying. (laughs) You know, so you gain so much more trust in the community and with your staff when you are confident, but also open, honest, and transparent, um, and, and genuine, right? You can't be fake. You can't, this isn't the time to like make sure every hair is in place and your makeup is right, right? And you go out and, and put on your suit and, and walk around. That, that's, that's the wrong kind of confidence. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have to be really authentic. I think that's the other key, right? You have to be authentic. That's good stuff. So we got a few minutes left. I want to go into a couple other sort of non-crisis leadership questions for you. And the first of those is what motivates you as a leader? Wow. What motivates me as a leader is doing better than we did yesterday and seeing the staff become the absolute best that they can be. And then seeing in, in, our, in our world here at Mel Trotter, seeing the life change and seeing people who feel marginalized, who some of them have made mistakes that they need to sort of, um, repair and move on from. Uh, Some of them have done everything right and through other circumstances they find themselves where they've never been before. 
so what motivates me is seeing all these different groups of people move forward and accomplish something they didn't think they could, they thought it was for somebody else, become someone they didn't know that they had deep within them. And you know, I've, I've had staff over the course of my career ask me, um, will you ever be satisfied? Because look at, look at how far we've come in the last year or four years or whatever it's been. Um, will you ever be satisfied? And I look at them and go, absolutely not. <laughs> now that doesn't mean that we don't pause and celebrate the, the progress that we've made. But for, if I put it in the terms of Mel Trotter and working with the homeless, I'll be satisfied when we've actually ended homelessness, which is a part of our vision statement in our community. Until then, I can't be satisfied. I can be very happy about what we have done. But how are you, so if you move, if you help this family with, with three kids move into homelessness, you have to celebrate that, right? Like, yes, their life is going to be different. Those kids are going to have a chance. We've broken the cycle. But you can't go, wow, I'm satisfied. Because when you turn around, there's another family with four kids with big eyes staring up at you going, can you help us? Yeah. You know, and I don't think that's unique to our industry. I think it's uh, with everything. If you're growing for the right reason and pushing for better and more results for all the right reasons, then I think satisfaction is sort of a false errand at that point. So next question, as a leader, what do you think the most important values are that you can be demonstrating? Wow. Uh, integrity, number one, authenticity, presence, being present. You know, I, I, I know some people in, in my role and I'm not saying anything uh, against them. Everybody has to make their own decision. But I know in this crisis, for example, um, I have the ability to stay home and to work from home. But I'm coming to the office about four days a week and you know, I'm not trying to be a hero or a martyr or, or point to, you know, look at the hero. What I'm trying to do is to be present with my team and to walk around and because, you know, as a leader, as a parent, as a leader, as anything, those that you're trying to lead are always watching you, whether you know it or not, they are always, and they will take their cues from me. If I stay away in the stress situations, people are going to go, this must be really bad, or he doesn't care, or he's fine with us being on the front lines. But if I'm here and I'm walking around, you know, full mask and everything, and it doesn't even have to be an intentional conversation. It can be literally, a, you know, what'd you do this weekend and joking around about that. But so I think it's really about being present as a leader, being authentic as a leader, and, and then, you know, being, having that integrity. I, I read, or I think I once heard, it was either Brene Brown or Patrick Lencioni, I think it was Lencioni, was telling a story about this Fortune a 100 company he was consulting with. And he was meeting with the CEO and the CEO said, well, I have to go. I have, I have a staff meeting, virtual and otherwise. And he said, you can come with me. So, and it was essentially a town hall meeting and, and the staff asked really tough questions. And the CEO had to give really hard answers that none of the staff wanted to hear. And as the, as the story is told, at the end of it, the staff gave the CEO a standing ovation. <laughs> And Lencioni wondered, you know, what the staff was smoking because there was no good information here. And when they got back to the CEO's office, Lencioni said, explain to me how you said the things that you said, and they gave you a standing ovation. And what the CEO said was profound, I think. He said, they weren't clapping for me, and they weren't clapping for the answers that I gave them. They were clapping that we are an organization that is authentic and has integrity and will tell the truth, 
mm-hmm. even if that truth is hard. And, and that has made a profound effect on me. So I think what I hope the staff see in me is a person of integrity that will always tell them the truth and will be there with them. And I think at that point, you can move forward. Love that. So last question, what is the, the most valuable piece of leadership advice you ever received? Yeah. When you think that you have met the limit of your leadership and what you can accomplish, keep going, hmm. keep going. You know, and it's really curious that you would ask that question now because a half an hour before we got on the phone, one of my best friends in the world who is not my wife, although she's my best friend, but we won't go down there. So one of my other best friends in the world, you know, he sent me a text and he's had a bit of a window into, into what's happening with this crisis in Mel Trotter. And um, he again said almost that exact same thing. He said, I just want you to know that I believe your entire life was created for this moment. And you may feel, I haven't talked to him in several days. He said, you may feel as if you've reached the limit of what you can do. Keep going. I love Um, that. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Hey man, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing with us. If someone who's listening to this wants to get in touch, has questions, uh, somebody wants to engage with Mel Trotter Ministries, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, best way is probably, at this point, it's probably email because my phone's blowing up. Uh, so that's Dennis Van Campen at meltrotter.org. And, you know, or you can Google Mel Trotter Ministries and you'll, there, there'll be a link where you can find me there too. Awesome. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. You as well. See ya. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.